So we are in the Psalms this summer. We call them Summer Psalms because we're creative like that. And uh, so the shortest psalm in the entire scripture if you've, uh, is uh, Psalm 117. There's only two verses in the entire psalm. Uh, and uh, on the other hand, the longest psalm is the one we're doing today, Psalm 119. It is 176 verses long. Um, and it was good news that it was that long for a Protestant preacher back in the 1600s named George Wishart. Uh, he was actually sentenced to be hanged at one point, and on the day that uh, he was to be hanged, he was hoping to receive a, a pardon, and the pardon hadn't arrived yet. And so, uh, as was kind of the, the way they did it in those days, the, someone, when they were sentenced to be hanged, they could ask that a psalm be hung or sung by everyone present in that moment. And in desperation, he decided to pick Psalm 119, um, which is good. If he had picked 117, it wouldn't have worked out so well. Uh, with 119, he was about two-thirds of the way through the psalm when the pardon arrived and his life was actually spared. Uh, so we won't be covering the entire psalm today, in case you're worried about that. Uh, in fact, we won't cover the entire psalm this summer, but over the next three weeks, next week with uh, Travis and the week after that, Pastor Dunning, uh, are going to be expounding these, these first 40 verses of Psalm 119. Now, uh, 119 is actually a really unique psalm in that it's, it's that long, but it's also, it's, it's got this structure. It's made up of 22 stanzas, and each stanza has eight verses in it. And each of those eight, eight verses in a stanza begin with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, for instance, today we're going to look at verses 1 through 16 of Psalm 119, and the first eight verses of that begin with the Hebrew letter Aleph, uh, while the next eight verses, verses 9 through 16, begin with the letter Bet. Uh, and so follow along as we read this, uh, and then we will begin to dig into it. So Psalm 119. <clears throat> Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. God, the scriptures through the Holy Spirit is the way that you are active in our life. And so we ask that you would let us know you through your word. That you would give us hearts that delight in your word because it is good. And it is how you reveal to us who you are and all that you've done to redeem us. Uh, as well as how we are to live in this crazy world that we live in. Um, for you. 
We thank you for this psalm, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what should be immediately clear in Psalm 119 to us is it's about God's Word. Uh, It's about God's Word, or it's about us getting to know God's Word. It's about our delighting in God's Word. It's about our actually living according to God's Word. Uh, In these 16 verses, there are eight terms that refer to Scripture. His law, His testimonies, His ways, His precepts, His statutes, His commandments, His righteous rules, and of course, His Word. And each term has its own nuance. But overwhelmingly, these terms are interchangeable throughout this psalm. And now, the first two verses that we see here begin with this word, blessed. That might sound familiar to you. That's uh, the same thing that the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, begin with. And at the most basic level, that that term blessed means uh, to be made happy, to be satisfied, right? To find satisfaction. And, And here we see that the one who is happily satisfied is the one who walks in the law of the Lord. It's the one who keeps God's testimonies. You see, to to walk in God's way, this is a a metaphor uh, for a daily activities, or our daily activities being practiced uh, according to the word of God. And the psalmist adds then, here in verse 2, that the blessed life comes from seeking God with our our whole heart. See, the the point here is, is for us to have obedience that stems from love of the Lord with joy. Uh, We will not find joy if our obedience is is merely external, right? When we do it with a a sense of resentment. Uh, The, uh, you know, by by using this this image then of of walking in verse 3, it's it's easy for us to imagine these these two paths, right? You're walking, uh, and there's the wise path that goes one way, and there's the foolish path that goes the other way. And the psalmist wants to show us the wise path so that we'll find godly joy in life by walking that path. You know, if, you, if you've ever hiked, you might have experienced this before. Uh, you know, you, you leave the path and you think, oh, adventure, I will find something no one's ever seen, uh, going off of it. And it's really exciting at first, but before you know it, uh, it's easy to get lost. You've got the sticks in your face and you have no idea where you are. Um, as you're going, you, you don't even know if you're going the right way anymore. I mean, I can't be the only one who does that. But uh, anyway, uh, God's Word then serves as a path for our life so that we can go where we've been called to go. Uh, and then in verse 4, do you notice the change there? The first three verses in this uh, are in, the, are in the, uh, the third person. And from this point forward, we're going to see it's all written in the first person. It's very personal. It's the psalmist speaking with God. Uh, verse 4 then, as he's speaking with God, it's about the purpose of God's worth. Why did God give these precepts, right? <clears throat> and it says he gave it, or, or rather it says he commanded his precepts to be kept diligently. Do you hear that? You know, so you're saying he gave them to us so that we will follow them? Yes. This is not celebrity jeopardy. That is the answer right there. Uh, his commands then are, are not legalistic law meant to to crush us but a a path that leads to our delighting in God himself you uh, you remember God is this loving heavenly father and his and and his rules are from love and therefore are good and therefore his glory Uh, take for example you've been to a pool before what's the primary rule at every pool do not run right Um, we were at city park just last week and the lifeguards decided during their break that they, were, they must have been bored. 
because um, they decided to see if they could shift their their positions, who could do it, which team could shift positions fastest. And one of the lifeguards we saw, he's growing and he's running uh, and he's breaking the no running rule. And that was the first thing you kind of notice is he's sprinting and he goes around this corner and his feet just go out from under him and he smashes down on the, on the side of his hip and, and just hits hard. And you think he's done, but pride, you know, pride kept him moving. Um, and he gets across the water and, and then he gets next to a stand and he just lays there moaning. Uh, and, and misery. And I remember watching this happen and just thought, huh, so that's why they tell us not to run. Uh, there it is, you know, in plain sight. Uh, we must trust that God's rules and, and, and his word exists for our good. And I don't know if we always do, but, but that's one of the things we need to begin seeing here is that uh, even in, look at verse 6. What's the result of, of keeping God's command? Even here it says that he, that he won't be put to shame, right? Uh, shame's a word that's, that's really, the meaning has changed drastically in, in recent years. It used to be kind of the appropriate response to wrong behavior. You know, after Jimmy was caught stealing from his mother's purse, he hung his head in shame um, because he too is acknowledging that what he has done is wrong. Uh, today though, shame, the word shame has been redefined to mean uh, someone who has, you know, someone's criticized another person's behavior. Uh, the general idea today is that no one should ever feel ashamed, and, and what that means is that no behavior should ever be called wrong at any level. Now, the, the psalmist isn't afraid of uh, someone making him feel shame. That's not his fear of being shamed in that active way. What, what he fears is committing sin, which rightly ought to lead to the feelings of shame in his life. He, he says that he's, then, then he says that he's fixed his eyes on God's commandments. Um, fixed his eyes on God's commandments. You ever been to a kid's baseball game, and you hear the parents shout out, keep your eye on the ball, right? Um, do you hear that and just kind of think, well, duh, this is baseball. Of course you do that, right? Um, do you know what actually means something? Um, when they're saying that, they're actually saying a statement. It's not just some dumb thing parents yell out. Um, kids and adults, you might not realize this, but when you're, when you're actually playing baseball, you have this tendency that as the ball comes by to keep looking forward when you swing. And, and you end up just swinging basically where you think the ball should be by that point. And, and so when you shout that, keep your eye on the ball, it's an actual statement of turn your head with the ball. Watch it all the way. And the end result is that more likely, or at least there is a more likely chance of you hitting the ball if you do that. Uh, I did the exact same thing last week. Sadie Piper played in softball, and, and my job was just to catch the ball, which we're hitting the ground right about the plate area. Um, and I found myself just closing my eyes right at the last because I'm a complete wuss and don't want to get hit by the thing. And, and I kept missing the ball. And, and finally, I kind of remembered that, that phrase that you hear parents yell all the time, keep your eye on the ball. And so I did it. You know, I kept my eye on the ball, and I tried not to be a wuss. Uh, and I significantly caught way more, caught more pitches at that point just by keeping my eye on the ball. Um, that's what he's talking about here. You know, this, this is about knowing God's word, keeping it in focus, keeping it something in front of us, keeping our eyes on his word. And, and the point is it's going to make it that much easier to know his word, to obey his word, to follow his word. Uh, and that's, that's one of the things he wants us to see here. And then in verse 7, he, he, see, where he sees a connection between learning God's rules and how he, he praises God. And the, and the reason you see that connection is that uh, just like the call to worship today, just like our, our singing today, just like our praying today, uh, it, it is a way to worship God, or rather a way to worship God is in our obedience to God. 
acknowledging him as God, as an authority over us. Uh, this, this first stanza then ends with this, this prayer at the end. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. And he's not saying, if I keep your statutes, you will not forsake me. What he's saying is, if, if you remain with me, God, if you don't forsake me, then I will be able to keep your statutes. It's this prayer of acknowledgement that he needs God in his life for that. Uh, verse 9 then begins the second stanza. And it's a very well-known verse. Who hasn't asked this at some point for their own life, for the life of some young person they care about? You know, how can I live in a way that my creator has called me to live? How can I live purely? He, and he gives the answer. He says, by guarding my way according to the word of God. And so we're in this era right now um, of history where it seems the goal of just about everything is to be intuitive, right? Uh, the idea that we should just know how to do something without ever using instructions. It's intuitive. When I was a, a child, we had video games, and they'd come with this little booklet, and you'd have to read how to play the video game for a while to know what's going on. Um, and I don't know if you noticed, today, even in apps, when you, when you get an app, that uh, it might have a sentence or two that tells you how to use it. Uh, and I don't know if you ever watched kids pick this up. You know, if they can't figure out how to play the game in about 30 seconds without reading any instructions, they're kind of done with the game and move on. Um, and, and here's my concern. As everything has been pushed to being intuitive, it, it seems this mentality has snuck into our culture and, and other areas of our lives, including, you know, morals and ethics and, and understanding of, of what is the right way to live, that sort of thing. Because, the, and the problem is this, when we apply the intuition mentality to those areas of our life, it, it means that really we do whatever we want to do, whatever we feel like we want to do. It's like in, in Judges 21, 25, where it says, in, in those days... There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I think today often Christians function in the same way. I don't actually want to read scripture. I, I, I don't want to do that to know how to live. I, I just want to live intuitively. However I feel, you know, I feel like maybe God would want me to do this. Uh, and, and that's a problem because, because you and I, we have, we have sinful hearts. And... and and so what's intuitive to us is, is simply to sin. Uh, just like it's intuitive to, to run beside the, the pool, and it's intuitive to, to seek pleasure in the moment, and it's in, intuitive to lie if it might get us what we desire. And so the question that, that must first be, you know, what does a young man or, or woman wish for his or her life to be pure? Or rather, do they wish for their life to be pure? Uh, but the second question that we're seeing here is, is if they can affirm that, that they do want that, then, then the answer is given to, to guard our lives and, and uh, to guard that intuitive mindset even against the Word of God, or rather in comparison to the Word of God, and, and to let God's Word be the guiding way in our life. Verse 10 then is, is kind of like the guy who tells Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Here he's saying, with my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. Isn't wander a beautiful image? Um, of how we actually get there. You know, how do we get away from the Word of God? I, I think just about everyone sitting here today would say, I, I don't want to get away from it. Uh, but it's that wandering. It's, it's slow, you know. It's following a butterfly without knowing where, where it's going or having any idea how far you've wandered away. And so it's a, a prayer here, you know. God, I am prone to wander. So help me. Help me so that I do not wander from you. I desire not to. 
And, and did you notice here that the psalmist equates the pursuit of God, uh, rather the pursuit of God's word, with the pursuit of God himself? Remember that. If we are to seek God, we are to seek God in his word. That's where he's revealed himself. All right, verse 11. Isn't that a simple verse? I've stored up your word, right? Um, this was written in a, in a time when, when people didn't have as much access to the word of God. Uh, there were scrolls. You could go down to the temple and, and find them there. But you couldn't bring it with you. You didn't have it on your phone. You didn't have it in, you know, a hundred different Bibles, translations you have on your shelf or whatever it might be. And so uh, now today we have tons of access to the word of God, which is wonderful. But the one side effect to that is that we've really stopped memorizing scripture because we have so much access to it. Information is so easy to come by today that if, if, if you want to know a verse, you can simply Google it, right? You put the topic and the word like Bible verse, and the next thing you know, you've got it up in front of you. And the problem with that is that it's not in our hearts, which is a place that we often need it. You see, memorizing scripture is not about impressing people to tell them, listen, I memorized this many scriptures, how about you? Um, you know, it's not that sort of thing. It's about having scripture in our hearts and our minds so that we can use it in our daily, daily, daily walk, right? Uh, for instance, you're, you're driving, you come into the parking lot, and another car sees an empty parking lot or space, space at the exact same time that you see it. And you kind of go through your head, and you're like, I can get there before them. I can. I'm sure of it. Uh, and, and that's the moment, you know, when because you've memorized, like Romans 12, 18, you know, you know, it fires off in your brain, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. And, you know, and in your head you're thinking, well, it's not possible in this situation. So, uh, no, it is possible. And, and so, you, you know, you wave at them to go in and, and you go on and you've lived peaceably with people. But if that verse is, is nowhere in you to even, even come out, right? If it's not with you in the moment, then what, are you going to go Google? What should I do in this situation? Two of us want the parking spot? Uh, it'd be gone by the time you looked up. Uh, let me add one more thing about scripture memory. And if you, if you want to start doing so, uh, the upside to having all the access, uh, you know, there's apps on your phone that will assist you in actually memorizing it. There's all sorts of games you can play to help you keep track of them. Uh, one of my favorites is one called Versus that I believe is free or like 99 cents. Um, but anyway, uh, Beckham and I were talking about this verse a, a few months ago, and I was trying to explain to him from another translation where instead of saying store up, it says hide um, that says you should hide God's word in our hearts and um, that we hide it there not so no one else knows we have it uh, is what I was trying to explain to him, that we were hiding it so that we do have it. And, and Beckham just responds to me, so that no one can take it from us, huh? Yeah, that's exactly right. So that no one can take it from us. You know, what we store up in our heart is, is with us no matter what else happens in the world around us. If, if for some reason you are thrown into prison for your faith or because you do something really stupid, uh, either way, you know, anything you've memorized is with you. It goes with you. It's there to, to comfort you. Uh, verse 13 then builds on this idea of memorizing with, the, with verbalizing. How often do we speak God's word to each other? I confess in our house I feel we do this too little. Uh, often, even in parenting, we'll revert back to the bottom line. We'll say something like, be loving to your brother. Um, and that's kind of working out of Scripture, something true. But instead, we should probably be slowing down and pointing out, you know, be kind to your brother because we see this in the Word. Something like Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, 
Um, God says you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and then, and then walk them through it, right? Is your brother your neighbor? W- would you feel loved if, if someone ate the last three cookies and left you zero? Uh, that kind of thing. Uh, now, I understand that's specific to parenting, but you know, speaking God's word out, out of our mouth to others, even to ourselves in all areas of life, is, is a huge deal. I, I've heard different people over the years speak about the underground church in China, uh, and how they, they learn very differently from us. And I've always been really intrigued by this um, because the idea is that, that we sit and we listen to a sermon right now. You're, you're, what's going through our head is, how do I apply this immediately to my life? And that's the end, right? Um, that's kind of the way we do it. And they were explaining to me that in China, they, they'll, they'll take these notes and they're learning it and they want to know it well. And, and the motivation for it is that they're going to go back to their village. They're going to go back to their families and, and they're going to teach this to somebody else. And so the, the teaching of God's word goes through them like a pipe onto somebody else instead of just a bucket where we collect it. Um, and it's, you know, so that's one of those things where you and I, as we're reading God's Word, as we're learning God's Word, that we, we think about where can this be spoken? Who needs to hear this also? Um, to your spouse, your, your family, your, your friends. You know, if your friend's looking for advice, how often do people come for counsel? You know, speak the Word of God to them. Uh, okay, so then verse 14, we're almost to the end of this part. Uh, it might be the strangest verse, I think, in this entire passage. Uh, this verse shows the divide between how the psalmist thought and the way our modern minds tend to think. Uh, maybe I'm different. I kind of tend to hate rules. That's my natural inclination. Uh, I can remember even as a child that no running rule thinking that is the dumbest rule ever. Um, I now have seen why it is a good rule. Uh, but I don't know why. I, I've never liked him. You know, it's not even that I wanted to run at the pool. I was just kind of annoyed that a rule existed. Um, I always hated them. I, you know, traffic laws sometimes will drive me nuts. I, I didn't like the schools, the rules we had in school. Uh, but here we're seeing him say this, and it's kind of surprising me, saying that he delights in the way of God's testimony. Um, he's delighting in God's rules, his commands, his precepts. He, he delights in them, and then he has that phrase, much more than all riches, right? As much as all riches. And you're thinking, so a friend gives you a hundred bucks and also like shares a verse with you, from scripture and you're thinking you know thanks for the hundred bucks but really it's the verse that I'm, I'm excited about um, really I, th- I think he really means it I think he really means it because he understands that there is satisfaction that God's word leads him into that no riches can and then in verse 15 he speaks about meditation uh, we tend to think of meditation and Eastern thoughts, the idea of, you know, mindlessness, you just, uh, um, empty mind. That's not at all the idea here. The empty mind is not it, but rather the, the goal is to fill your mind with the text of Scripture, to, to slowly roll over it and think about it. What does this mean? You know, uh, one of the ways we can do this, I don't know if you've ever done this, you can read through a verse and emphasize a different word. Uh, we'll just take this verse for, an, for example, you know, verse 15. Uh, you can emphasize a different word each time you read it. I will meditate on your precepts. 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 Aren't you glad I didn't choose a longer verse for that? Um, 
And, and you do that, and you just begin asking questions of the scripture. You know, what, what does this mean? Um, how do I put this into practice in the real world, really in my life? How do I understand this in, in light of the gospel, right? Particularly in the Old Testament. Uh, and then the stanza ends with him just saying that he will not forget God's word. I think we understand this on a personal level. We, we feel, when we feel forgotten by people, it, it hurts because it communicates that they don't care about us. And, and when he says that he won't forget God's word, it's because he does care about it. It's important to him. He, he delights in it. He truly delights in it. And so then, um, bring this all to an end. Let me just give you four ways that we can and, and should apply all this. The first one is this. Just pray for God to create delights in you for his word um, because we read and we study best when we truly delight in our, our subject right and, and in God's word it is even more so you know so it's earnestly just ask that God would give you a love for his word and and I say this don't pray this once pray this constantly um, daily because we're going to wander away from it number two uh, what becomes clear in this psalm is that it's not merely a call to know the scriptures, but a call for us to actually seek to live by God's word. It's a real pursuit of obedience, and that can sound weird to us at times. Um, but I'm, I'm saying this so that we can determine now, or determine, you know, once again, that you will seek to live by God's word. Not, not in your own strength, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit, which, which God has given you as a Christian, along with faith in Jesus Christ. And, and not from any sense that you're trying to earn your sal- salvation, but because we know, that from God, we know from God's word that when we live life according to God's precepts, his design, it brings peace to us. Peace to our lives, peace that God desires for us. And so remembering that, that God's word is a means of grace and a means by which we are conformed more and more to the image of Christ our Savior. That's why in, in John seventeen seventeen, when Jesus is, is praying to the Father, the high priestly prayer, one of the things he says there is, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You see, the word of God is a, is a means of sanctification in our life. And third thing, um, I think this is a big one. Begin developing today good Bible habits. Not, not later in life, you know, even in children. I'm talking to you as well. Now, wherever you are, begin developing these habits. You know, form godly habits starting now. You know, set apart a time in your day to read the Bible. Uh, there is simply no substitute for just soaking up the Word of God. Um, Sadie, Sadie Piper and Beckham helped me realize this years ago. I've written this down somewhere, so you might have heard some of this. But uh, Beckham was six at the time, and Sadie was four and we were reading Psalm 1, verse 3, which is talking about the, the person who delights in the Word of God, and it says this about it. It says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And so I'm asking them questions about these verses. You know, what, is a, what does a tree need to grow? It's an easy one, right? Water. Um, and I asked, what will happen if you, if you take a tree and you plant it in the desert? And, and Sadie Piper, you know, a little four-year-old, saying, well, it won't grow because there's no water. Um, and I asked, do you know what a stream of water is? I thought we'd get real simple. And, uh, you know, Beckham is lakes and ponds and creeks. Um, and Sadie Piper answers, really, 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 really long lakes. 
all right, kind of. Uh, and, and then I asked him, you know, so if a tree needs water and, and you plant it next to a river, what do you think is going to happen to that tree? And Sadie Piper says, it will grow big, big, big. And uh, Beckham even stood up on his chair to show us just how big this tree will grow, uh, which is all of like three feet. Um, and so then I asked him, so what would happen if you walked outside and you tried to push over our, our big tree that's growing out there? And, and Beckham just said, well, it wouldn't move because it's, it's too strong. And, and I thought, okay, I've taught them a wonderful lesson. Um, and then Sadie, Sadie Piper kind of spoke up. She decided to just, you know, gloriously mess with my mind like children do sometimes. Um, she realized that our tree's not planted next to a stream uh, or a river. And she said, Dad, we could fill up buckets of water and pour them on our tree and it would grow bigger. All right. You know, my, my head was already thinking about analogies at this point, and, and it just occurs to me in that moment that um, what she just said is exactly what happens in ministry often, uh, any ministry, you know, parents to children, uh, to your friends. Uh, it's this, you know, in a sense, this is, this is what we're doing. Uh, in a sense, you know, we fill up a, a bucket of water with God's word, and, and we go, and, and you dump it on someone, right? You pour it on them, and, uh, you know, we pour a bucket on, on Sunday morning, and we pour a bucket in Sunday school, and in small groups, and, uh, you know, those of you who do college ministry, you lug buckets of God's word to these, these, these trees, and every large group meeting, every one-on-one -on -one meeting, and it's good. It's better for them than just leaving them in the desert, but when we minister to people, whether it be our neighbors, our friends, our children, college students through uh, RUF or crew or whatever it might be or, or something else, you know, our, our goal needs to be to uproot them and plant them next to the stream where, of God's word where they can grow. And that means teaching to, to read and to study and to meditate on God's word and, and showing them what it means to delight in God's word. That means many of us might need to figure out our, our daily schedules so that we can be careful ourselves, you know, to, to plant ourselves in the stream of God's Word. And that means, you know, to be regularly in, in, in God's Word, not motivated by guilt. And that's always the fear when you're preaching this, that you're going to somehow just push people by guilt. That's, that's not it. But, but motivated by this desire to know God more intimately, to know His Word. Uh, I'll give you a few other habits before I give them the last one. Uh, um, you know, taking time to, to pray in response to what you learn in God's Word. You know, even this, you've been hearing this today. Go home. Pray that God will actually give you delight in His Word, that sort of thing. Um, also, enjoy the company of God's people. We're all a little bit like tofu. Hannah could probably explain this to you. Uh, you don't know tofu, just kale. Uh, anyway, you know, tofu kind of takes the flavor of anything around it. And so you put it next to, I don't know, pork, it's going to start to taste like pork. Um, and that's the way it, it tends to work. You know, you know, being around the people of God is, is going to be an encouragement to you. So make sure you do that regularly. Uh, but also know that you, you, know, you have friends, you have neighbors, you might not know uh, the Lord, and they're a little bit like tofu too. And that means that your presence around them uh, should give off the flavor of Scripture as well. Uh, and, and to that point, make a habit of, of weekly worship. I know that sounds completely self-serving, right? Um, but church is a place where you will hear the Word of God, where, where God willing, you'll be encouraged in this, in this walk that we call life. So make it a habit. Uh, and the last one I'll mention is this, this is going to sound weird, but to make a habit of rejecting sin. Um, 
It sounds really weird, but, but you know, that means actually focusing on living like God's Word calls us to live. Um, children, you know, even, even you. Um, when you tell the truth to your parents, knowing that the truth is probably going to land you in a bunch of trouble, that's God growing your character. Um, that's what we're looking at here. That's, that's an actual example of what we've just read here about walking in the law of the Lord. Okay, and the last thing I'll mention, the fourth point of application is this. The last thing is, um, Jesus Christ is the ultimate realization of the Word. When we read of the Word of God, uh, when we read about delighting in it, about uh, the freedom that comes through it, about um, you know, all that comes from following the Word, the blessings and the joy that just comes from seeking the Word, we ought to consider that the truth that, you know, the truth that Jesus Christ is the ultimate realization of the Word. The book of John, Gospel of John, 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace. And so when we read Psalm 119, we ought to remember Christ Himself is the one, the only one, who lived perfectly all the commandments and the precepts and the statutes. And, and, and we do this so that we do not look to our own obedience to redemption. Don't misunderstand that. We're looking to Christ's obedience for our redemption received by grace through faith. So let us delight in the word. Let us seek to obey it for our good and God's glory. But let us find rest in the word made flesh, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, everything in life that is valuable requires a great deal of work. And so we know that knowing your word and meditating on it and memorizing it and spending time in it will also take some effort. And our prayer is that you will make us men and women and children who are willing and eager to do the difficult work of knowing your word. Uh, May we be regularly and faithfully in your holy word, Lord, and we thank you for it, that we have it and we have access to it. It's in Christ's holy name that we pray. Amen.